0: Hello and welcome to Life Changing Science, the BioBuilder podcast. I'm your host, Zishan Siddiqui, and today I talk with designer entrepreneur Julie Legault. Julie is the founder of Amino Lab, an MIT spin out that builds hardware and synthetic biology products, making genetic engineering accessible to children and non scientists. Let's dive right in. Julie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You've become an internationally recognized entrepreneur, uh, but your career did not start out there. What were you working on early in your design and applied arts career?
1: Yeah so actually entrepreneurship is is not something that was on my radar really until um, I got interested in biotech but my background when I was in undergrad and um, so I studied in Quebec and we have uh, something called CGEP even before undergrad which you know is is like I guess preparatory to undergrad. Um, so I did that in design and presentation and then I undergrad in design art and computation art. And really my focus, um, which is easier to see after all these years, but it was about uh, (laughs) using new technologies, but making them accessible and exciting uh, for the general public. So one of those examples is wearable technologies. So, you know, before we all had Apple Watches and Fitbits and um, you know, even those headphones that record your biometrics, wearable technology was all about LED sweaters and glow up shoes. And while they're still pretty cool, you know, I could tell that that wasn't necessarily the the right way forward. And I could tell that there was yeah. a lot of really exciting things that could be done with biometrics um, beyond just, you know, having LED patterns shine on your shirt, which is more Club wear than anything you would really ever see, <laughs> or maybe like um, Blade Runner movie script. So yeah, so I was really interested in in looking at biometrics and wearable technology, but uh, bringing it to something that the mainstream would be interested in and could start to make sense of um, their data in something would they would wear every day. So for that, you know, I worked on a lot of watches and handbags yeah. and that sort of things.
0: What triggered your interest in doing a master's and or what attracted you about the MIT Media Lab?
1: Well, it's hard not to be attracted to the MIT Media Lab. You know, it's like where Lego Mindstorm came out of. It's where Scratch comes out of. And, you know, a lot of really exciting things come out of the MIT Media Lab. And um, at at the time that I applied, I had graduated from a master's in goldsmithing. Um, Okay which, you know, doesn't really, it gets you some places, but not necessarily in the high-tech world. So um, I was working on uh, using biometric data and jewelry uh, for the case of autism. So how can we um, use that type of technology, like biometric data, to help people with autism Um understand their body and their environment. And there was a group uh, doing that type of research at the MIT Media Lab. And I, w- I was finding that on my own uh, without being in a research program, I was struggling a little bit. So oh, okay. I decided yeah. to apply yeah, to grad school to really get you know, help uh, with my research.
0: The graduate program you applied to, was that offered by the Media Lab itself? Or was yes. that? okay?
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, so the Media Lab has many different research groups, And so I applied to one of those research groups where what they were working on and what I was working on had a nice overlap.
0: So in a few past interviews, you talk about how you discovered that there were no tools for beginners to really explore biotechnology. And that really became part of your master's thesis. Can you say a little more about how you discovered this and why you prioritized it? in your thesis.
1: Yeah, and I can also um maybe use this opportunity to explain how I jumped from autism wearables yes. to biotech. To do that. Yeah. Um, so, so I was still, um, you know, in, in, I did my master's 2013 to 2015 and in 2013, I was still working on, um, these tools for autism. Um, but I was looking more into smells. So how can we use olfaction to uh, modulate emotions or, um, you know, triggers and, um, Chemistry is really hard in terms of creating smells. <laughs> but um, at the same time, there was a, an event going on at the Media Lab where uh, Symbiota, which was a earlier biotech company, came and gave a workshop to a select few about how to build a DNA um, program and how, you know, that could be then gr- uh, grown into bacteria to create a biotech product. And I had heard whispers actually through Natalie presenting at the Media Lab um, about how you can use biotechnology to create smells. So it was kind of like all um, percolating in my mind that this might be a good avenue for my research. Also, it sounded cool and interesting. So I attended this workshop by Synbiota and we did build a DNA program and uh, assemble it and then put it in bacteria. And then the bacteria, you know, grew that program which was to create violecin which is a um, anti-cancer compound that's, uh, well, it's being, You know research as an anti-cancer compound okay so of course i had never you know held a pipette before so this it was (laughs) over two weekends and i was like oh my god this is amazing you know i've just created a living organism that can create some medicine and i have never done this before and through the presentation in that workshop and having met natalie prior um I knew that there was so much more that could be done with biotech. You know, you can make yeah. perfumes that react to your emotional state. You could uh, do so many things. And I was just blown away by the idea that as an adult who had never done exactly. science be- beyond like, you know, high school yeah. volcano type experiments, <laughs> science, <laughs> volcano science fair type yeah, experiments. Yeah. You know, um, classic, uh, I guess, 90s science class. Um, yeah. I was really excited that, you know, I could do this. And the other side of it is that it also helped me understand what GMOs were and what was in the news um, in a way that before I hadn't had the language to really get familiar with. So um, essentially this became so interesting to me that I decided to swap my research and try to create my own smells that would react to hormones for this, this existing research. But then... How I uh, my thesis kind of skewed toward education was that I realized that it was actually really hard um, if I wasn't in you know a biobuilder workshop or in a symbiota workshop and there was no scientist holding my hand. Um, it was very very hard for me to create what I was trying to create. So even though I had learned that I could do it, there was like a gap between what I could do, what I knew I could do, and what was available
0: for mm, okay. me to do
1: it with if that makes sense.
0: I guess some of the conclusions you drew from your thesis sort of established the amino and the DNA playground, right? Yes. And yes, that's right. yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that, yeah, that brings me to the birth of the amino. So what did production of the prototype and MVP, that is the first DNA playground, involve? And what does R&D and production involve now?
1: Yeah, so um, for us you know, the way that Amino and BioBuilder are different is that um, we focus on, you know, creating a a little lab that you can bring anywhere you are. So my idea was that adults and designers and makers like me would want to do this in their own studio. And then whereas uh, BioBuilder teaches the teachers how to teach it, right? And um, also teaches the students, therefore. So um, for us, what ended up being very important early on and what R&D ended up being was just user testing. So finding everyone from adults that had never done it to uh, teachers, to real scientists in the lab, to older people, very, very, very young kids, you know, four years old, six years old, and just um, bringing yeah yeah. um, and you know we learned that four years olds are a bit too young. Um, so you know, you learn things. <laughs> but um, what was super important for us was to do user testing. And that's what we did for the first three years of the company. So it was workshops. It was um, bringing prototypes that were, you know, just a bunch of wires on the table, and um, yeah. kits that weren't kits. Um, and just testing <laughs> with everyone we could um yeah. to see what would work and what was bringing value to people. And so um, today, you know, five years on, uh, we still do a lot of user testing, but we now we've learned what brings value to people. So instead of starting from scratch, we're just looking at how to extend our learning journey that we have today.
0: Awesome. And just coming back to the Um, early stages of the amino how how big was your initial team I presume it would have been very interdisciplinary and collaborative uh, because you would have needed not only synthetic biologists but I presume engineers and people from I guess the business school and school of uh, humanities and arts would be involved as well
1: um well this is true and not true for us so we've always okay. worked very lean so um with the lean startup which is you get away with as little um as possible so you test very yep. early on so okay. not building a big team was really important for us and my co-founder he'd gone through a different company that had a big team and um, it can start costing a lot of money when you're still trying to figure out what your product is. So um, we really wanted to stay flexible and lean. So what we ended up doing, so myself um, being a designer and Justin being a scientist, we were the core team and then we uh, got contractors. So we, I had some friends from okay. that computation art program earlier and that ended up being the mechanical engineers and um, you know the programmers and software engineers to help us. And then you know, once we were ready with our prototypes, then the contract was over, which meant that we didn't have to keep um, paying them, (laughs) which, you know, sounds dumb, but that's really important when you're a small company.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah. This year, especially this year, has seen um, the change to, like, a massive change in the education landscape, the trend, as in the transition to online teaching and online learning how's it been to lead your organization through this uh, challenging transition
1: for us we've been lucky in that we already uh, cater to remote learning because as i said we have like the dna playground so that already takes away the need for that lab so um for the home learners you know nothing's changed um We still cater to home learners and then in terms of schools what's been interesting is this idea that um, they'll get the DNA playground and they'll get our kits or their kits and or will work together on some new kits and then they can do their um, lab courses over the the zoom call or whatever yeah. platform they're learning. So that's been really interesting. So yeah. in, in essence, the school will pay for each students to receive a kit at home. And that's been um, really okay. exciting to work with teachers on that because, you know, you, the teachers I'm meeting right now are the ones that are very passionate and they definitely want their students to still have those hands-on experiences and really, you know, that wow moment of growing your first bacteria, there's nothing like it, and having it like change it, exactly. color, <laughs> you know, or glow <laughs> in the dark, there's nothing like it. So they're still working really hard for their students. So it's really, um, it's really great to see those educators, you know, go through the hoops that the university uh, or high school will put up with, you know, all the hoops that they put up.
0: It's really remarkable. Um, How you're able to, like, I would love, like, I I thought I'd never say this again, but I'd love to go back to primary and high school with all the new sort of educational technologies available, like growing bacteria with your teacher on the other side over Zoom. I, I can never imagine that. Like, that's brilliant. And it just opens up, makes biotech and synthetic biology accessible to 100 times more people than it would be. Could you tell us about the exciting initiative between Amino Labs and the BioBuilder Educational Foundation 100K Bioengineering Challenge?
1: Yeah, of course. So that was something uh, very fun that we did early on and that uh, Natalie um, really helped us with. And um, the idea here was because we're both companies trying to bring biotechnology to everyone. And yeah. we both uh, realized through the course of our operation that not everyone can afford to do the hands on or to um, go into the BioBuilder lab or anything like that. And, you know, while the hands on is pretty cool, the next big best thing is a simulation we thought so the idea of the 100k bioengineering challenge was to create a virtual simulator called the virtual bioengineer and it basically mimics doing an experiment um, where you just uh, drag and drop your you know your bacteria and your agar tube and your antibiotics and it okay. has a little pop-ups that tells you a little bit more about the experiment and oh, wow. we actually okay. yeah so th- it was um it was actually justin's idea and we decided you know what you know lean startup style we'll build it and we'll see maybe people will love it and maybe they won't but actually people love it they you know since then we've built another few simulators and people all over the world they use it every day and it's amazing like uh, i think it's four years since we created that first one uh, with natalie but it's still being used every day and we see bumps you know during the school year and then in the summer times it's a little bit quieter but it still gets used so it's really exciting to see um you know, that all over the world, people are able to at least do the simulation and learn the basics of it.
0: And and that's the important part. Like once you can get the basics done, once you sort of get that spark of interest in biotechnology, and then then you're able to teach yourself and you become self-motivated, self-driven. Um, and exactly. that's really the the eventual goal.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, how are you going to choose a career in biotech if you don't even know what it means, right? That's something exactly. that is super important. And you don't think about, you know, children or teenagers, they have to decide their careers before they've experienced most of the subjects out there. And of course, a lot of them are, we've seen in movies, you know, what a nurse is, what a doctor is, what a programmer is, you know, engineers. We've seen that, but we've not seen biotechnologists so much
0: outside of Jurassic
1: Park. (laughs) And that's not necessarily the best, uh, you know. Not necessarily. (laughs) So, yeah, it's really important for, I think, for students to, to see what it could be, because it's not only being in the lab. It's, um, you know, today we see a lot of material science being done in Adidas and Stella McCartney, they're doing fashion. With exactly, Biotech, exactly. Yeah, super exciting for kids that even don't want to become scientists, but they can get to learn the basics and then go work in fashion. Or, exactly. So, yeah, so it's important.
0: Julie, when you reflect on your journey so far, What are some of the key lessons in culture, skills, sensibilities that you found helpful in your journey and development as an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, so I think the main thing, um, and I think we're really lucky to be at the beginning of this movement, because I think collaborating with peer companies has been so important, you know, for Amino and BioBuilder to work together and there are others out there. And I think it's important to remember that it's not a zero sum game. We're all here. We're all great companies working towards, you know, moving that needle in the education space and working together. It far outweighs the, you know, the benefits that we get. It's so much better than just being a lone maverick out there and trying to do everything yourself and stay isolated because of competitive edge or or whatever you want to think yeah. it's all about. Um, I think we're really lucky because in biotech everyone seems to be very collaborative and you know I, um, I'm i really lucky I get to still speak to Natalie you know a few times a year and it's always great and we get to speak about what's going well what's not going well but I, I never feel like oh I shouldn't tell her this or or yeah. you know that we're holding back we're just helping well just yeah, helping we're each helping other each out. other, yeah. And I think that that's been the best thing, you know, as an entrepreneur, especially, you know, as a younger woman. I can't say young woman anymore. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as a, a young woman starting out and, you know, I went I went to Silicon Valley for a while and it definitely is not a nurturing environment.
0: <laughs> but Natalie
1: is very nurturing. So, you know, being able to speak um, with her and others. There, about- and having
0: BioBuilder... Um- that support as well is is brilliant. Julie, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me and uh, thank you for BioBuilder and for all it does. I'm excited to uh, listen to this podcast series.
0: It was such a pleasure to talk with Julie and hear about how she was able to use her skill set and interest in biometric data and goldsmithing and transfer that passion into a separate field, which eventually led to the birth of Amino Labs. I also thought her comments about the importance of collaboration and how this is not a zero sum game was very insightful. I believe this episode will be very helpful to people who are looking for a career change into biology, but are worried their professional or educational background will be a limiting factor. Biotech is such a diverse field and in need of many different perspectives and expertise, and we all need to work together to help this field continue to grow. Thanks once again to Julie for joining me. If you'd like to access the 100k bioengineers challenge that we discussed, you can find the link in the show notes. Join me for the next BioBuilder podcast. We'll welcome another wonderful guest whose career has been influenced by BioBuilder's life-changing science. See you next time.